I grew up in a different world. The 50s. It was a time where we were expected to finish school, get a job with a company and keep it for life, buy a car with fins, get married, have a few kids, buy a house and live there for 40 years, retire with a gold watch and a pension, and live out our days surrounded by friends and family. What a crock. It's hard to believe now, but we all really believed we had a chance at that American dream. Instead, many of us find ourselves scrambling to survive, dashing from job to job and from relationship to relationship. Nothing seems to be permanent anymore. Nothing but changes and challenges. Humor may well be our best weapon in our battle with modern life, and I will do my best to employ it here. In this book, I will deeply examine the world we find ourselves in now. I will look at a few big problems we do not seem to be able to do much about, and a lot of minor problems that seem even more insurmountable. I have tried to round up strands that might tie together and divided the book into just a few sections. Coping with modern life, because it is a constant struggle. The future, because I hope we have one. Politics, because it just won't go away. Television and movies, because they consume most of my free time. Comic books and games, because I own a comic store. Music, because I used to be a disc jockey. If some portions seem more interesting than others, simply skip around. This book is not a novel, and while there might be a few threads that carry through the book reappearing from time to time, each chapter should be able to stand on its own. Listening to chapters out of order shouldn't matter very much. Here's a bonus. I was a disc jockey at an actual radio station and helped write and program several other radio stations later in my life, so the book has a soundtrack. There's a link at the end of each chapter that will take you to a video on YouTube that, for some reason, seems related to that chapter. However, before we worry too much about the present and our future, here's a look at how I first got an inkling that I might turn out to be a writer. Planning my future, back in 1962. I was attending 6th grade at Westside Elementary School in June of 1962. Our teacher was Mr. Dunham, and for the most part, I thought he was a great teacher. About a week before classes ended and we were graduated to classes at Cold Spring Harbor High School, he sat on his desk, looked around at the class, and gave us one final assignment to complete. I want you to take out a piece of paper and write down what you expect to do for a living when you finish school, was all the direction we got from him. He then started wandering up and down the aisles in the classroom, peeking at our progress. I sat there and gave it as much thought as I could, since it was a topic I had not really spent any time on at all. The library was one of my favorite places at school, and I had torn through all the Chip Hilton sports books and Dwayne Decker's stories about the Blue Sox, and those were exciting to me. Sadly, given that I had not yet had a growth spurt and was not particularly strong or fast, it was unlikely I had a future in professional sports. Once I ran out of sports books, I had also discovered a few books by Isaac Asimov, a.k.a. Paul French, and Ray Bradbury, and Arthur C. Clarke, and Robert Heinlein, and continued from there to devour all the science fiction I could beg, borrow, or <clears throat> steal. Space exploration was even more exciting than sports, but since I nearly threw up on the teacup ride at Disneyland, I was pretty sure physically going into space was not in my future. While fighting my way through the nonfiction stacks at the library, 
I had also discovered that I had an affinity for math, so working on the space program seemed like a reasonable future pastime. The only remaining concern was figuring out where the rockets I would be working on were going to travel. A year earlier, the United States had put its first astronaut in space when Alan Shepard Jr. spent a little more than 15 minutes in a suborbital flight. Almost immediately after that accomplishment, President Kennedy had declared the start of a program to put a man on the moon, something that almost surely would happen by the end of the decade. The country had managed to put John Glenn into orbit earlier in 1962, so we were obviously on track. A little more thought, and I had my future mapped out. 